Hi everyone, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. If you're watching it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the show, make sure to subscribe so that you get notified when a new show is released. And if you'd like to find links to videos or mp3 files, just go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com and you can also submit any eerie experiences you've had at the Submit Your Story tab. Also, hook up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where you can find information not only about new shows, but also about monthly free merchandise giveaways. So, get comfortable, enjoy this new episode, and just imagine it's a dark and stormy night where not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. And if a creature is stirring, you hope it's a mouse. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. Um, well, even though you're not going to see this for a little bit, it's February here and warm weather still <laughs> in Miami. What can I say? I know the rest of the country. I know some people are like, yeah, Marlene, they want to throw a, a shoe at me or something because I know the weather out in the rest of the country is pretty bleak in some areas. It's not snowy, very cold, etc. But anyway... Before I get into the super, super, duper interesting guest I have, uh, I thought I'd bring up, you know, I'm always looking at, you know, all the different things in the paranormal and, you know, and I see so many interesting things and I said, you know what, you know, every once in a while I bring on different things I wanted to share with you. And today, this one, this this was uh, for today, which I, honestly, I could not believe this. This is that you're looking at right now. This is a robot god, okay? This is an AI version of a Buddhist deity that they're using to preach in Japanese temples. And I looked at this, okay? And I was like, wait a minute, Buddhism, prayer, are we talking here spirituality? What's wrong with this picture? And believe it or not, this is a, a robot that was created to preach the teachings of Buddha uh, in the Koji Temple in the, uh, in the city of Kyoto in Japan, and they named it Mindar. And they just recently gave its first speech on the Heart Sutra. I mean, I'm not Buddhist, I'm just, this is just information that they gave out, which is a key scripture in Buddhist teachings. And uh, they reported that uh, the robot, basically, as you can see, the, the, the top half, which is what you're seeing, is more human-like, but obviously robotic. But then the bottom is like, it's on a stand. Uh, and I, I couldn't wrap my head around this, how, you know, we're talking here spirituality, Buddhism, but they're using a robot. Uh, and uh, they were basically they're playing music and they're projecting all this stuff on the back wall. And then uh, the the temple, the the chief steward of the temple, he's being he's saying that uh, if an image of Buddha speaks, teachings of Buddhism will probably be easier to understand, and that we want many people to come to see the robot to think about the essence of Buddhism. Okay, again, I'm not Buddhist, but you know this thing with the transhumanism, robotics, AI. When either you're praying to or with a robot, you know that that thing about being oxymoronic <laughs> that falls into the oxymoronic category. I had to share this with you guys because it's like, uh, okay, 
uh, let me be spiritual and pray to a machine or with a machine. Uh, food for thought. But anyway, let me get on to the good stuff, which is the guest that I have on with us today, which I'm very excited about. And this is a lady by the name of Anita Jo Intenzo. Okay, now Anita, she's been intrigued by the spirit world for many years. And in her profession, which is restoring antique dolls, photos, and art, she incorporates the past into the present. And the people in the photographs that she has, which are the first owners of the dolls and the subjects of the artwork, uh, she uses all of this as she does the work for them. Now, in 2009, she became the executress of her deceased friend's estate. And this is when everything changed for her. Well, not suddenly, but after this, uh, because afterwards she started experiencing things that you normally would just see on the TV or in the movies or you read in a book. She found that this was actually happening to her. And absolutely, when we get into the interview, you're gonna see that this was the turning point for her because after this, her life was never the same. Uh, she's written two books about it. First one is called The State of Horror and then her last book, which is a sequel, is titled Dark Transference. And just in case, we'll, we'll mention it again at the end, uh, and it's going to be in the credits of the show. Her website is anitajoentenzo.com. But anyway, let me get Anita on here. How are you doing today, Anita? Oh, very well. Thank you, Marlene, for having me on your show. No, it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. Me and Anita were chit-chatting before we got, you know, rolling. And I was like, oh, my God. I <laughs> I'm telling her, she's got a few more books to write about because some of the experiences that she's had, and I'm telling you, she lived the life of what most people have, which you kind of hear about the paranormal or you see it in the movies or you read a book and uh, maybe you kind of think, and then it comes and it hits you like a two by four. But before I get into that, let me ask you something, Anita. You know, obviously in the bio, it's, it sounds like this happened right after you started working with after 2009, but prior to this, had you ever had a, a any type of experience with a paranormal? Uh, um, nothing that I would say that would be something so shocking or that would stick with you. It's like something that you would see on TV where people uh, see a deceased relative or something contacts them. But but I've always felt um, I've always had like a sixth sense. Um, I'm an artist, and I've mm -hmm. always been in the art field from when I was a little girl and I feel like I have um, empathic types of, of feelings and also a very deeply um, moved by like sensitivity with you know my art my creations but also people around me um, being a portrait painter I get into beyond what's on the surface of a person you know that you you want to delve into what made that person's life and the lines etched on the face, you know, represents their journey and experiences in this life. But also, um, just sort of like I would have, so, sometimes just things would come to me from out of the blue or not like almost like a telepathic type of thing would happen or I would have uh, knowing something and then it would happen. But they, I just thought like, well, that's me and I really don't want to spread it around to tell anybody because right, they might right, think that right, I'm, yeah. I'm nuts. And, and being brought up in a traditional religion, you know, it's kind of frowned on that you would want to believe in any kind of, um, you know, not, not witchcraft, but, right. you know, extrasensory perception or things about ghosts or things. But I was always fascinated with the idea of afterlife. Um, I loved Edgar Allan Poe's stories. I was a big fan of 
that type of writing and those types of mysteries. But also, um, my son and I would watch uh, the different ghost you know, shows on TV and the movies. My son's a real big um, horror movie fan, that type of thing, but didn't know that I would be living a horror right, movie. Right, right, right. <laughs> that, that right there is like that. that what you described, I think, is most people's, uh, you know, experience with with the paranormal. They, you know, they might mm-hmm. be horror fans, horror fans, and, you know, you get a good scare, but then it's, oh, it's just a movie or you read a book, mm-hmm. but that always happens mm-hmm. to somebody else. Yes, yes, uh huh. And when it becomes you, and then when right. it's you, you're you're still just almost um, seeing yourself out of body to say, "Is this really me? Is this happening to me?" And this is only supposed to happen in TV shows. I mean, right. I've seen the people on on in the movies have this happen to them, but but I have to tell your your listeners that being involved with paranormal and the way my son and I were introduced to it so much heavily into my friends home because we were the sole uh, responsibility of taking care of his estate and we were the ones allowed there at the house and being that you were closed off from most people in the neighborhood because of just you're doing things that are private you're trying to get things uh, taken care of with the lawyer because my friend had died suddenly he was an anthropologist Uh, we were friends for 30 years Um, you know you're trying to keep things just not in the limelight but yet things that are happening in the house, we're kept wondering, like, does anybody else know what's going on in this place? Because, you know, we were just worried about, is this going to be carried outside or are things going to be following us after we're in the house? But things did not happen right away, um, as you mentioned. We right. Well, started and, out, and I would mm. like you to explain, because a lot of people, you know, Hollywood mm. always makes mm-hmm. it seem like 24 hours later, you've got stuff flying around your house. And I think sometimes these things creep in kind of slowly. What, what happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, mm-hmm. here you are, you're, you know, your friend from what you told me died unexpectedly. So you mm-hmm. go over there and you were kind of surprised yourself on how much stuff he had. Yes. Um, I hadn't been at his home recently and he, I guess he wasn't feeling that well that he could really take care of maybe his, his kitchen and other areas, but he was what you call a hoarder, but mm-hmm. not in the sense where there's garbage and there's just trash. It was just collections and collections of stuff everywhere that he was running out of room. And there would oh. be piles of paper and things just masked on tables, things that it seemed like disorganized that he wasn't quite focusing on. And the idea is that he died so suddenly that there was no orders to be given to anybody wow. except luckily he left a will and there was instructions in there what we needed to do. So I used that as my guide, but nothing could be more eerie is to be called that a friend of, of, of yours had your name in his wallet, you go to the hospital, wow. he's already dead and you're there to identify the body and there's nobody else but you to do you this. You had because- to do that too? Yes, yes, I had to be there to verify who he was. They, they, he had called 911 on a Sunday night, said that he had trouble breathing. Um, they, from what I found out, they picked him up. He had already been outside waiting for the ambulance because even then he didn't want anybody inside his house. And, and he closed up the house. He had the keys and things, and he went to the hospital, and he fell into a coma and never woke up from that. He had a massive heart attack. And... I had to go to the hospital. They said, you know, your name's in his wallet. And it was the saddest thing to see him, you know, in a side room. But I told him, I'll take care of everything. You don't worry. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do everything I can 
to, you know, that I made these promises to you that I would help out right. if anything happened to you or, you know, be an executor of your estate. But I didn't think it would be that soon. You know, he had only asked me one or two years before that to, right. to you know, to sign off and do that for him. But I was I didn't even have time to grieve Marlene because I had to go straight to find out. You know, he had two cats at his house. I had to make sure I didn't know if the cats had been fed. Right. I was lucky, able to get in touch with um, a pet sitter he had used in the past who came with me to the house that night. Um, I didn't even know what key opened his door. That, and we set off an alarm that we didn't know the alarm was on. So the police came, and it was really just like, what is going on? I don't even know what, you know, where to turn at this point. Right. It was just everything thrown at me. And as you said about gradual, yes, it was a gradual realization that something was not right in his house. We had gone there, um, got the cats situated, uh, we got them adopted pretty quickly to some of um, the people that my friend knew. Um, luckily, that I didn't have to worry about that, but we had a monumental task in front of us because it was not only what he collected from all his travels, but also his parents. 30 years of collecting and things that he never threw anything away and it was really I, I didn't know what how I was even going to do it it was it was just incredible so it was like and, and even then and we spoke about it at the initially all you were thinking of is logistics of no paranormal thing it was just no. like wow mm -hmm. this is a lot of stuff uh, yeah, bills, like, I mean, how do I pay the bills? How did he do that? I'm right. looking for checkbooks. I'm looking for, um, you know, pay stubs, things of that nature. Um, seeing, you know, people calling that didn't know he had even passed away suddenly. And I'm try and then I had to call his family. The, the lawyer worked with me on that. He said, look, I'll take care of that because he and his brother had been estranged for oh, a number wow. of years. So, so I have... Uh, a brother who was not looking on me very kindly that I was in charge. And if looks could kill, I would have been yeah, six feet under. Yeah, but it wasn't your fault. You're like, uh, <laughs> I, I said, hey, your, your brother passed away suddenly. I'm so sorry, but yeah. I'm in charge. And I'll do all that I can to find, you know, because I think he just didn't want me going through family things. And that's, you know, I can understand that. You know, he thought I was a stranger. But I said, look, I knew your parents. I knew your brother. So, well, I said, I will be very respectful. I'll do all I can, not knowing that it would take me a year to clear out the house with the help of my son, because it was just room after room, just filled with uh, Tupperware bins, filled with stuff, things on top, piled on top of beds, um, under the beds. <laughs> the basement was like an, its, its own, its own uh, unique uh, area. But, but gradually, well, we were there, you know, there was a couple little strange things, like we'd hear a noise, or the temperature seemed to be colder in some parts of the living room than others. And this was in the summertime, and we didn't have the air conditioning on all the time when we weren't at the house. But I think the, the main thing in the basement when we needed to get contractors to come down and dig up the basement because of water damage we were getting from um, just coming in from the foundation. And it was getting to be where it would be so moldy and damp down there, it would be very dangerous for us to be keep working to get rid of the stuff. So I spoke to the lawyer and he agreed. He said, yes, get a contractor, get them to dig up, put a sump pump down there, and that should take care of the problem. Well, as soon as the thing, all that concrete got dug up on one corner, um, only a few days before the contractors were meant to come, we were moving everything from that one side of the basement, which right. was a very long basement. It ran under the whole length of his rancher-style house. 
And my son kept, he said to me, what keeps falling? What keeps being like hearing noises where he was working? And I said, well, maybe because you're moving things and things are piled that you're loosening things. Well, he said, well, something just went flying by my face and smashed against the wall. He said, that wasn't me. And I said, what is going on? And after that, for the next couple hours, we had poltergeist activity. Things were flying off shelves. Thing, books were being like thrown to one end of the room. Um, like anything and everything you can imagine that was loose. It's just like being flipped across the room. And my son and I were looking at each other like, this is crazy. I don't know what's going on. And I said, this is just like the ghost hunters show. I don't know what the paranormal. I said, what is going on? And we had a friend come who was helping us out that afternoon to bring trash up the steps. And as he's coming down the steps, doesn't something fly, a seashell flies across his face and goes into a little plastic bin. He goes, what was that? I said, "Uh, (laughs) welcome to our world. This is what we've been dealing with the last two hours. And he still didn't believe. He goes, I don't know. He said, what's happening down here? I said, did you ever see those ghost shows where things like fly, you know, go against the room or they move? I said, something's going on down here and I don't know what it is. Well, he stayed for a little while, then he left and we didn't stay too much longer. But it was like after we got out of the house, we're sitting down in the car and I'm saying, did that just happen? Like, did all that stuff just happen to us? And my son said, yeah. He said, you know, we saw it, you and I, and so did, you know, my friend. And I thought, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what's going on there. Well, it started happening every time we go to the house. We wouldn't be there for five, ten minutes. And we got to know the sound of something being thrown and hit against the wall. It's like, okay, they're starting up again. It's right. like, what, you know, in different rooms, be playing around with things. And, and it was almost like we would challenge. Like my son at the first was not being very smart. He was almost provoking and saying, look, yeah, we're tired of this stuff. You know, stop fooling around with us. And, you know, he's cursing them out and things, and things would even get more uh, crazy. And I said, look, we got to stay calm. This is not good. Well, we started documenting the different days when we were there. We actually then st- we brought our, our uh, tape recorder, and we're not high tech at all. We just took my tape recorder yeah. with the tape and just would leave it running in one of the rooms and just see if we pick up anything. Then we got a camcorder, uh, one of the older ones, and my son started filming. And we had friends come in for the day to say, well, um, they were skeptical. Well, I'll come and let me see what you're talking about. Well, they would be believers by the end of the day because they would see stuff flying right in front of their face or something bang against uh, the door. And we're talking about heavy stuff, like a screwdriver being thrown against a door, uh, a bottle of peroxide flying out of the so bathroom. So this was escalating. It started from seashells and it worked. That's, that's got to Yeah, Yeah, it, it started gradually and things got heavier. Like right. it, it was heavier stuff getting thrown. And then finally we got thrown to the ground where, you know, the heaviest of all, you know, my son gets thrown right in the middle of the living room. He actually oh. got tripped and fell and he thought he broke his arm. He, he was so, the wind was knocked out of him for like at least five minutes. He was, it was so unexpected because we had been in the kitchen. He turned around, he said, did you hear that noise near the, the bedrooms? He said, I'm gonna go investigate that. And I was turning the camera towards him and before I could even do it, he's down on the ground. That's how fast he was, he was thrown to the ground. And he said, somebody tripped me. He said, what's going on? But he just laid down there for five minutes. I thought I had to call 911 because I was so worried that he had, he, his glasses went flying. He was, he, his arm, he had hurt his arm. He got up, he said, you know, 
this isn't funny anymore. This is really, something doesn't want us to be here. This is really bad stuff now. Because before that, it would be things, you know, flying across the room, funny right. stuff we would say, all right, you know, what are you going right, to throw right, next? Right, right, right. Almost like, that. oh, yeah, but not, not really yeah. threatening. Almost like, was that, yeah, yeah I can mm -hmm. see what you mean, that it gradually it went from, wow, did you hear that? But not really concerning. Mm -hmm. And then it was yeah. like, okay, now. It was because being pushed to the ground, that's like it's a personal thing. It's not something on the other side of the room. No, no, no and I was pushed. I had gone outside. There was a little garden house made of um, cinder block. I, I, it was around maybe um, 8 by 12 or a little bit larger. That was a potting shed. Uh, we had been in there. That was full of, of junk. And as I'm coming out, my son and our friend was out in the lawn, and they were boxing stuff up. I'm, I turned around to come out of the little house, and some something pushed me from the small of my back and pushed me forward, and I went flying over a couple of the boxes that I had on shorts, and I had uh, black and blue on my left leg for several weeks because the boxes broke my fall, but the corner of the box, like, you know, kind of scraped yeah. my leg. And, and my son looked up, he goes, what just happened? He said, well, you know, it happened so fast we couldn't even catch you. I go, somebody just, something just pushed me out the door. I go, okay, I'm done for the day. I'm not staying around here. But that's what, it's like psychologically too, because it's like you're coming here. Let's see what we can do to make you crazy today, or we're going to do all these things. And my son was convinced. He said, it's like they know that we're coming because we would pull up to the, the driveway and something like the garage door would just go up and we didn't have the garage door opener was in inside the house. He goes, uh, yeah, they know we're here already. See, the garage door just went up. I go, oh, geez, here we go again. And it would be of this, you know, you're trying to get things done. You want out of that place as fast as possible. Yes. And then you would have where you're boxing things up. And my son said, I thought you boxed that stuff up. I go, yeah. But what's that doing out? I just put that stuff, I just packed it away. Well, it's out there again. It's the same objects were just unwrapped and they're right there again. I go, oh, geez, we're never going to get done out of right, here. Right, because this some hauntings, <laughs> basically the humans are like witnesses. You know, whatever yeah. it is, it does its thing and you just witness it. But it's yeah, like, yeah. it has no interaction. But yeah, this was an intelligent haunting then. Oh, uh, well, I, I, it was funny because I... When it first was happening about we were in the basement, my son and his friend had come over with us. We were only staying for a short time because um, his friend was bringing over some more things for us, packing material. And he says, oh, this is the famous basement you guys are telling me about, but what crazy stuff. And um, I said, well, yeah. You know, I said, well, you know what? Maybe we should do an experiment. I said, maybe we should see if something can get in touch with us. And I wouldn't do it if I was by myself. I had to be with my son and his friend. And uh, so his friend Danny said, well, he said, why don't you, uh, Miss A, he said, why don't you uh, ask? And so I said, well, let me ask, is this so-and-so, is this you, Paul? Are, are you down here because, you know, you didn't know, you know, that you had passed away or something is going on? And almost as soon as I said that, we heard a bang against the metal cabinet and it turned out to be a film slide, you know, and the cardboard slide had hit, you know, we could hear it hitting against the metal door. And I picked it up and there is a man dressed in colonial costume next to um, a printing press, which was from Williamsburg, Virginia. And it happened to be, that was one of the charities my friend left some of his money to, but also my friend used to be reenacting in um, the Philadelphia area. Uh, wearing the Benjamin Franklin outfit of a printing press. So it's like, 
I think that's my friend trying to tell us that yeah. it's him. <laughs> it's a slide yeah. to tell me. But then they, so they said, well, uh, I think we're, we're convinced enough. So as they are going up the stairs, and I said, uh, what are you guys, you know, you don't want to stay around? I was going to ask again. Uh, we're fine up here. You know, you, you can go ahead. I said, all right, well, I'll ask again. If it's you, to make sure if that was you that just left me that slide, give me another sign. And bang, right next to my foot is a metal, uh, something like a, a, a Madonna, some type of religious uh, thing that you would put on your visor in your car for like protection that right. you know these charity organizations send you for a donation. Mm -hmm. That thing I picked it up it was hot as anything. And my and, and my son and his friend are at the top of the stairs. Uh, thanks, we're convinced, and they go out the door that they don't want anyone to be there. And I said, Oh, come on, guys, he's not going to yeah. hurt you. I said, He's my friend. Yeah, let me said, tell you something. It's like yeah, 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 but alone, <laughs> I'm not staying here alone. No way. Well, and that was. I was almost verified to me that, yeah, if it's him, I'm not afraid because he was always loving towards me. Right, there was nothing right. to afraid. But as things, the more and more we cleared out the house, we were definitely getting the feeling that whoever else was at the house, because then we start realizing well, it wasn't just maybe my friend's spirit, but also something else there that did not like us moving the things out of the house, that there was such maybe attachment to these earthly possessions that they didn't like that we moved the things out. And that's why the anger seemed to be escalating and being targeted to us, you know, that we got pushed. Right. Um, also, we had, well, it wasn't directed right at us, but it was like a warning where it was a big metal bolt from the basement and that got thrown against a metal cabinet and it made a dent in the cabinet with such force and that really made us realize, you know what, that could have been one of us that thing that, could have that hit us. That sounds very dangerous, I'm it, telling you. It really killed one of these, you know, somebody said hit your head. So that made us more cautious, but yet we did not know else. We have to get this place cleaned out. I don't want more people in here than they have to because I'm afraid for their safety. And right. that put such stress on me, Marlene, because as I mentioned to you before, I was taking care of two sick parents. Um, I had my own business and home to take care of. Here's my friend's estate I'm trying to deal with. And then also helping out my parents, which only lived a few blocks from me, that they were in need of my help too. Like right, if, they, right. if they called and they, and so I was uh, pretty stressed out at yeah, that Yeah, because, point. and let's face it, you know, taking care of your parents, as far as urgency is concerned, that had to come first. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially my mom, she was, um, she had some bad falls. Uh, one, one night, my son and I came home from being at, the, at my friend's house all day. Um, I had to get on the phone with one of the phone companies because we were trying to investigate strange phone calls that were being made from my friend's house to the security system, which the woman said to me, that doesn't happen. She said, we don't tell you, but we every so often call in the middle of the night just to see if the phone, we don't ring the phone, but we check to see if the line is okay. Right. That there's no, and I said, well, you're, but I said, but I'm getting a phone bill here and there's number, the number is being called to Bethlehem, but it's from my friend's house at 4.30 in the morning every Tuesday for a month. It's the same time every, every, this one particular day. She goes, well, we'll take off the charges she said but that shouldn't happen she said you shouldn't be calling she said there's nobody at the house who's making the phone calls i said you tell me i said yeah, right so, it's like it's you like, have no so, idea <laughs> so i have no idea why i'm getting you know where it's actually yeah like when you're saying that i know exactly more than what you <laughs> think i'm getting a total charge over here so i'm on the phone with this 
woman, and then I hang up the phone, and the phone immediately rings. It's my dad. He's been trying to get a hold of me for an hour. Your mother fell. She's in the hospital. She split her head out. She was outside wearing the plants, fell on the concrete. It's like, oh, dear God, you know, now what? And it's like I don't know how I kept my sanity, but, I'll, I, but I just have to say my faith and, you know, my deep my, my friends were supporting me. My, my family believed me. My parents believed there was something really going on at my friend's sure. house. They were really worried for us. But I look back now and I really don't know how I did it, you know, especially if people read my two books, you know, that it, it just goes into the different chapters of, like, the really strange things that were happening and escalating till you know, when we finally were able to get the house sold. But even that point, trying to get people to come and see the house – there was things going on like we had people come one night and they're going through the house and then I said well I'll take you outside you can see the garage my son grabs my arm he says let him stay outside I go what what's going on he goes you can't believe what just happened in the in the living room the TV's in the middle of the living room I go what he, he said something just put the TV in the middle of the living room he said keep him outside I don't know what's going on I go okay because they won't want to buy the house if they think it's haunted you know absolutely like, I, <laughs> like, let me like tell you, you something to that that oh, it, it was bad it was like you, you were just trying to just get through things and then when the fellows who were the contractors and i figured well maybe you know that'd be better to sell the contractors because maybe they'll rip out all this right. bad stuff you know and even when they were they weren't down the basement they're coming up the steps going through the the galley kitchen and I'm following them and they're moving on to the next room and I hear this noise in back of me and here are plastic hangers thrown from the basement up into the kitchen wow. I go, oh no please stop doing that it's like those right it's like what was that oh the cat <laughs> oh and, and or they go by oh oh I, I must have let that thing slip on the floor I go yeah and my son's rolling his eyes at me he says oh my god you're like like what's happening mom and, and we had to laugh at times because it was so absurd at some points but yet at the same time frightening I mean you get we, the one incident, his friend Danny, who was old faithful coming, and after an incident, he never came back. He was right behind us from, there was um, a porch, a closed small porch, then it was a doorway that you came into the galley kitchen, and right opposite was the door to go to the basement. It was a very small enclosure where all these, like two doors were. Well, we're going down the basement, Danny's right behind us. No sooner, he, the door gets shut in front of his face, and we are... Oh standing at the land and at the top of the steps he's in the kitchen and the door is shut and we can't open the door it's frozen and danny is banging on the door he goes guys open the door i go danny the, the handle's frozen it's not that it was locked the hand it just wouldn't move and he goes something's behind me oh, oh my god and he, my god. he ran out the, the, the place and then all of a sudden the doorknob just it just opened so my son goes running after Danny. He goes, Danny, Danny, what happened? He goes, dude, I'm not coming back. He goes, what did you see? He said, you should see what I saw just in back of me. It was like screaming in my ear. And he, it was like his breath was behind me. He said, I'm never coming back. And he never did. He says, I'm not staying. I'm not. So he stayed outside, and I quickly just shut up the house. I said, okay, I, I'm not going to force Danny to come back. This poor guy, he's been here all the time, but that scared him so bad to know that he was cut off that from speaks us. volumes. Uh, in other words, it wasn't that he just got scared then. Like from what he, you're saying, he never even came back. 
Now, now if he had been other times with us, there would be weird things he'd laugh with us, but it singled him out where he was separated from us. He's all alone in the kitchen, and this thing is like screaming something like, you know, like hissing or something. And he like turned around and he said, you don't want to know what I saw. Because he happened to be the only one of, my, of myself, Chris, my, my son, and his friends. He actually saw an apparition or a ghost at the bottom of the steps one day. We walked into the kitchen. We opened up the basement door because we heard someone said, hello, who's there? And Danny said, did you hear that? There was a woman's voice asking if we're here. I go, there shouldn't be anybody in the house, Danny. It's only us. So he opens the door. I'm trying to go see if it was someone, you know, I hear the voice in the other room. He's just frozen where he's standing. And I said, Danny, what's wrong? He doesn't say anything. And he goes, uh, uh, look, look. And I look down the steps, nothing. He said, I just saw a guy walk by, khaki pants, a white shirt, dark hair, tall. And I said, he just went off into the room. I said, Danny, you just described my friend. And Danny had never seen a picture of my friend. He wow. described my friend. I go, oh, my gosh, Danny, that sounds like my friend that you just described. He goes, yeah, he walked. He was at the bottom of the steps. And he walked over the other part of the basement. And he was the only one. We, we saw dark shadows. We saw other things at the house, but we never, he's the only one who saw the ghost, who saw an apparition. And that, and that just verified more. The more people that we had selected to come and give them the story, say, look, there could, something could happen, something not, but we just want to warn you. And nine times out of the ten, I mean, if anybody came, they would be like, yeah, I'm convinced there's something here. You know, I didn't know what to believe or they had never been in a situation, but we weren't trying to make it like entertaining or a venue because I said, I don't want this to be disrespectful. Like we're here trying to get a job done and, but we're doing it under the most unique and terrifying circumstances at this point. It's like things are just, I mean, you're working hard to try to do things and things are just you know, distracting you, distracting you. So you it can't sounds get like the hot spot, though, was the basement, though, right? Yes, yes. In fact, when um, when our friend, the medium, Laurie, and her group from um, the investigative team came, she said, oh, the basement, this has, like, been the hot spot here. But she said, she said, but did it start here? And then it gradually moved up. And I said, you know, Laurie, you're right. It started with the basement, but then upstairs became active, like the bedrooms, um, things would just, like, we have a sweeper, that would be just standing up in the bedroom and that would be thrown over. You'd go by a kitchen, a chrome, one of the really old fashioned chrome chairs, like from the 1960s and 70s. That thing was toppled over as my son walked by. Um, heavy objects would be a book, would be thrown, hits against the ceiling, ricochets, and then comes down and falls at, on the floor. It's like, yeah, there's some really, really intense things going on. And normally it would be, People that, well, I'm coming in, is this really happening? And, and then they would be convinced. And not that we were trying to convince them, because I said, my job is not to convince you. This right. is just something that, you know, we're dealing with, and I, I really don't know, you know, what, what, what else is going to happen. So, you know, it, it's a, it, it's a, it was a strange uh, year <laughs> to be at his house. So, which is, I was going to ask you, how did it happen, Anita, that it went, because it sounds like, Everything was happening when you were there in that house. What happened mm -hmm. when you realized that things were happening at your house? Um, it, it, it really happened quite abruptly. We had uh, closed out his house. The house was sold. 
we were pretty much out of there. We, it was funny. We made a date by Halloween. I said, I'm not going to be in this house by Halloween. There's no way. <laughs> we made that like a target date. And, and luckily, the place was sold before that. Um, we, we sort of like to say, well, we closed the door chapter. It was really quite, you know, crazy happenings. Let's get along with our lives. And no sooner we went through Thanksgiving and on Christmas Eve of 2009, just out of the blue, we're, uh, my son and I are having breakfast, and we hear something hit the front door. And he just looks up at me and he goes, I hope that was just something brought into, like, the, the postman, just, you know, the mailman just right. brought that in. And we take a look, and there is a mat cutter that had been sitting in the kitchen on top of the microwave when we opened packages had been had been thrown against the front door. So my son says, oh, no, not, not here. I said, well, look, let's not panic. I don't know what this is all about, but let's just keep our eyes and ears open. I mean, I don't know why this is happening here. And within a short amount of time, I mean, it was Christmas Eve, so my parents were expecting us over. Okay. Uh, we do the seven fish dinner, that type of thing. We were getting Christmas packages. So we just just say, okay, let's not worry about that. Let's get back to what we need to do. Um, next thing you know, there's something else hits the front door, and it's a woman's tortoiseshell comb or something that would go in your hair. And I don't own anything like that. And I said, I don't know where this came from. You know, this, this is a woman's thing. And well, I just put it aside. I said, you know, I just can't deal with this right now. We, we have to be focused on what we need to do. And I, you know, I said, we need to get your grandparents later. So we, so we went upstairs and um, something said, what happened? Oh, that's right. We heard a bang up in the, on the upstairs bathroom. And it was made like a, it hit against the tile in the, in the bathroom. And my son said, that's a really loud bang. He says, what, what's going on? And we go up there and it's, um, it's like a coin. I said, I said, it's like a car wash token. And I said, well, if they're throwing around junk, I go, oh, I thought that was a gold coin. Oh, it's a car, it's a, an old fashioned car wash token that had, didn't even have a zip code on it. It was from maybe the 1950s or 60s. And I'd never seen it before, but it, it, it was pretty big, and it hit against the wall. And I said, oh, great. I said, you know, this is the kind of stuff that gets thrown. I said, you know, why can't you throw something valuable? I'm like kidding. Okay, well, if you want to throw something, why don't you throw something valuable? Oh. Well, five minutes later, um, I hear another bang in the bathroom, and then it's a Morgan silver dollar. That's, <gasps> and, and yeah, and that's okay, thrown they were against listening. <laughs> So they, they heard me. He's like, why can't you throw something more valuable than something this it's a piece of junk? And it was a Morgan Silver dollar. And then I realized the date on the, the because I handled the estate. I saw all the paperwork from when his parents had passed away. There were still all the envelopes and the death certificates. And I knew when his father was born, and it was 1914, and that was the date of his father was born, 1914. I go, Oh, no, please don't tell me this is like something connected with his family. I mean, this is how observant I am, because when, the, when you right. see something, wait, why is that date significant? Uh -huh. So that happened, and we're still just kind of rattled. But at the, and it's, it's like we're just trying to go on, because we were so used to it at the other house. We had to still go on with mundane, everyday things with this stuff happening around us. Now, most people say, I would have stopped everything. Let's get out recorders. No, I didn't want to give them that kind of attention, because... Yeah. We, we want to go beyond that. Well, my son says, well, I'm going to go shave. And he says, I'm going to go into the bathroom first. He says, and let me shave, and then, you know, we can get ready to go. Well, I'm sitting in my bedroom, sitting in a chair, and I picked up a magazine. I said, well, I'm just going to relax here while you're getting ready, then I'll get ready. And I look up as he's walking into the bathroom, 
and I see a black shadow from the ceiling going right after him. And immediately his shaver gets thrown out of the bathroom against the, the, the opposite wall in the hallway. And he starts, he says, what just happened? He says, my, that's my shaver you guys broke. And it, it, was, it was all in pieces. And he, my son's upset. I'm like almost near tears because I go, what is going on? And I called out, I said to my friend, please help us. I said, please, this can't be happening again. I don't want any of this happening on Christmas Eve. You know, and, and I don't even know what else I said. But then the next thing I know, I see this black shadow go almost like running down the steps, like, you know, and then it goes the, from the first floor. And I'm just so shook up that I said, you know what, let's get dressed. Let's get out of here. We, we, you know, let's go over to your grandparents. I can't be here anymore right now. So that led, really left wow. us kind of shaken. And that was the first incident that happened. And then we knew, I go, okay, it didn't stop at his house. Now it's starting here. Okay. Not realizing the stuff that we brought from his house, as I mentioned, he was an anthropologist. And he had a lot of artifacts from all around the world. I had been bringing those to my house because he left me all these in his will because he knew that I appreciated, you know, ancient right. cultures and all that. And I had a, almost an empty basement. I didn't keep much in the basement. And I thought, well, I'm not going to rent a storage unit. I can't afford it. Let me just bring the stuff down the basement. Right. I'll store it down there. And then after everything's closed, the estate's closed, I'll just go through the things at my own leisure, not realizing what I might brought over right. from his yeah. house. You're you know? innocently so, thinking again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's. I mean, I did not know at the time that there could be attached yes. items, you know, or spirits to items. It was not in my wheelhouse of thinking because I was not into, you know, into that type of studies or realizing all of the nature of like paranormal. But the more that I, you know, then I started really asking questions, um, joined some groups just to try to see online what we were dealing with. But it was still very personal the way things were centered around us you know it was like getting our attention knowing what we would pick up and how we would interpret it and i thought you know this is still this is still my friend's house that is still here like it's it's been just transferred from one location to another and it's right. like okay now my house is haunted at at this point and it just it and it's continued from that in 2000 late 2009 that we now you know it's 10 years later and we still are on this paranormal journey because and, and this is the thing that it's like i want to say is it was are, are there attachments to those artifacts but it also sounds like there was something going on that's intelligent maybe mm -hmm. because from what it sounds like they saw the ghost of your of your friend mm -hmm. okay and there was some significance also with his family so it almost looks like there's two types of hauntings taking place uh and let me yeah. tell you something mm -hmm. that all those things that you described, Anita, you need a very, very uh, intense force to lift up some of those objects. That's yes, I mean, I mean to see, um, actually, like, well, when we were, one of the things that really escalated um, near the end, um, we had, uh, we had signed paperwork with the lawyer's office the morning, it was early October, and we were going over to the property, check on things, there were some things I needed to pick up that the, um, they needed for verification. But it was our first step of getting the house away from from us. You know, we were gonna right, be able right. to, to, they were making a bid on the house, we were signing that paperwork. 
we we got in to the house. No sooner we walk in, I hear water water dripping. And I said to my son, did we leave a faucet running? Where's that water coming from? And we we looked in the kitchen, nothing. And I walk around and, and go into the bath. There the bathroom, the, the whole floor is soaking wet. And there's water all, you know, it was like a puddle of water. And it had even leaked out onto the wood, the, the hardwood floor in the hallway. And I said, wait a minute, the faucet's not running. The bathtub's not overflowing. Where's this water coming from? And the, the rug was sopping wet. I quickly picked up the rug, put it in the bathtub because I thought, I've got to get a mop. I've got to get something. You know, we just, we just signed the papers for this house, and now there's damage going on. So um, I just said, I said, well, my son said to me, well, let me check. He said, maybe it's, you know, and it was the toilet tank. Kept, like, he turned off oh, the water at the bottom of the toilet tank. And he said, I don't know what's going on here. He said, but let's just shut that water off yeah. and maybe that'll stop the water. Uh, then what we did, we turned around. We then went down the basement because we heard dripping. And as we're, walk, we're going down the steps, we hear this huge bang, bang, bang on the walls as we're going down. But, and so my son continued to go down. I said, Chris, I said, let me call somebody. I said, I, he goes down, he goes, mom, all the water's dripping from the base from that bathroom down into the basement huge puddle and he took a broom and started pushing the water into the sump pump well that was they had just finished not too right. long ago so because there's no other way the water to be mopped right, up to get it so out he, there yeah so water was still dripping because it, i don't know how long the water we had only been there the day before so nothing had been dripping everything was high and dry but this water had been dripping like maybe for 24 hours um, it was leaking. We put buckets to, to catch the water. My son starts getting the broom, trying to push the water. I'm trying to make a phone call on the landline, and the line, phone line's dead. Wow. And my son has a cell phone. So I said, I said, Chris, I, I can't get a hold of anybody. The line's dead because I wanted to call our plumber and tell him we've got an emergency going on. He starts yelling to me. He said, get down here. Somebody, I saw footprints go through the water. Something's down here with me. Oh and I God. run down. I go, so I'm just trying to help him. I said, what's going on? He goes, something's down here. Just get, let's get this water pushed off. Uh, no sooner we're doing that, the buckets that were on the floor were picked up and thrown across the room and emptied out the water that was being collected from the ceiling. They go flying. A small ladder goes throw, thrown across the room. Uh, part of a Celotex ceiling, a square that was maybe two by two from another part of the basement was flipped like a Frisbee over to us. And all I'm saying, dear God, please have your angels guard us. Please keep us safe. We're getting attacked down here. And I said, give me your cell phone. And I grabbed the cell phone. I called my mother. I said, Mom, do you have so-and-so's number for the plumber? I said, we can't seem to get through with anybody. And she said, why don't you call the lawyer? Call them and see if they have an emergency that you can contact them directly because they're closer to you. So I did. I called the lawyer and his assistant who knew us very well. I said, could you help us? I said, she said, I'm going to call our plumber that we use and, it's, and tell them it's an emergency and to get over to your place. I said, we don't know what's going on. I said, we're not staying in the house. We're going to wait for you outside. Because I, cause I had gone back in. When I had taken up the carpet and put it in the, the bathroom, I walked back into the bathroom uh, thinking, well, I'll get a mop and start mopping up. There was noise. There sounded like fists were pounding through the, the floor that I'm thinking, if I see a coffin come up through this floor, like I saw in Poltergeist, I'm oh, never coming it. back. That's it. I'm done. 
It was it literally was pounding under my feet in the bathroom. Something wanted to come through the floor, and as I said, all down the paneled door, uh, the side walls to go down to the basement. Bang, 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 and then um, I'm trying to get a paper and pencil, and I'm looking around, and I said, you know, I was asking my mom for a phone number. She goes, you know, write this number down if you can't get a hold. Why don't you call the lawyer? So I'm, I've got a pencil in my hand, and I go, darn, where's that? Where's the uh, you know memo pad? Doesn't a memo pad fly across? I got very funny, you know, like you're throwing exactly. a pad of paper in my, in like, like how much fun do you think this is? This is really bad stuff. And I mean, people wouldn't believe this. I mean, you think you need a straitjacket, you're saying this stuff. So after, when Mike, well, we saw the stuff being thrown around, I said to Christopher, I said, let's get out of here. We're waiting for the plumber. We're gonna, and, and the assistant said, I'm coming. I'm coming over, Anita, from the law office. I've got to talk to you guys and see what's going on. She came over. We showed her, and then we met with the plumber. He came over, and he said, there's your problem. He said, there's a crack in the porcelain of the, of the toilet tank. And I said, well, how does that happen? He said, look, he said, there's only a couple ways that could happen. This is really an really old porcelain, but it's really sturdy. He said, either you have a sudden temperature where, you know, he said, right now we're in, it's the 80, it's 80 degrees out and you had the air conditioner on. He said, that's not like it went cold right. or hot, yeah, where, you know, say, yeah. like you could be frozen. He said, or if somebody fell against it on purpose, he said, you'd have to get a great weight to be hit against that, to crack that. So my son and I look like, yeah, I don't yeah, think that's, and, and, that's and much of a problem. Very suspicious timing, right? <laughs> that's very suspicious timing. Because, I mean, things yeah. go, I, I know what you're saying. Things sometimes break. But what mm -hmm. he's describing to you are two circumstances that were very unlikely, plus the timing on that that you had just finished signing mm -hmm. that paperwork. Right. It's like, yeah, we'll get back at you for doing Somebody that. Somebody wasn't happy with that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was like so much of like psychic connection. Uh, Christopher was greatly affected you know, when he would go to the house, we started, I started noticing that even before we pulled up to the house, he started feeling sick to his stomach. Wow. And there were several times he, he got quite sensitive. Oh, he knew my friend very well since he was a little boy. And he was really, we were both very shaken and, and, and heartbroken when, when he passed away suddenly. But my son actually had to run out of the house one day and he vomited in the, in the garden because he said, yeah. I'm not going in that bathroom. And he, and he said, I just got felt like something just went through my stomach that I had to get sick all of a sudden. And we had then learned from the paranormal team. They said, well, that's also psychic thing that they're attacking you, Christopher, like right. there's something that you're sensitive. He was picking up certain things. He would tell me he felt cobwebs all in his face. I never felt a thing in the basement. And the basement was so toxic. There wasn't a living creature down the basement. You didn't right, even see right. an ant because that place had been closed up. It had a smell and it was, as I said, no ventilation. There was not a back entrance. Everything had to be up the steps through the kitchen and out the uh, porch door. But he would get these cobwebs. He'd feel like he's being covered with cobwebs and there wasn't anything there. But it's all these things that connected that when we then were at our house, it continued with him being targeted as far as in his dreams, um, being uh, witnessing or someone coming to him about things in the past, things that might have been on our property. And for your listeners, um, I live on a property that is several hundred years old. There's been occupation. And it started in 1700s. And I'm only maybe the fourth person who's ever lived on this property because there was two main families in the 17 and 1800s. And then 
uh, in the 1940s, the gentleman we bought the house from built the house that's here now that we live in, but it's on the foundation of an old farmhouse. Right. So that was um, something that we lived with but didn't give much mind to, even right. though we knew some of the history. But the when we called um, our friend Laurie and her team to come into our house in January after we'd had this, uh, this stuff going on at Christmas, she came up to the house. She said, you know, there's something already here. She said, there was something in your house already. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, Laurie. I said, I've lived here so many years, I've never felt you know, any kind of weird things going on. She goes, but she said, your property, something's attached in your property. And, she, and that's all she said at first until she got a chance to go around the rooms and, and get a feeling. I said, well, you know, we brought a lot of his artifacts you know, that you saw we brought over to the house here. She goes, yeah, bad move. She said, that was your first problem that you brought these things over. And I said, well, I didn't know. I was naive. I didn't know that I could be making a problem at my house. And that's what she explained to us. There could be attachments. Right. And she said, you know, it's so many things that he had. And she did some of with her, um, she had a meter on her, I get EF, EMS meter. Mm -hmm. And what was really surprising is there was one particular box that she ran the meter near the box. And she goes, what's in that box? I said, I don't know. I said, some things from South America. So I opened it up and with it. It was, we unwrapped something, and she said, I'm getting a high energy reading from this bundle that you've got there. So I unwrapped it, and there was this really old doll, and it had a tag on it that my friend had written, and it said Peruvian mummy doll. And I go, okay, mummy doll. Like, I, I knew we had some things wrapped up in paper, and it just said mummy doll, or just a Peruvian artifacts or whatever, and I really didn't go through all these because we had so much we had to get through. But I said, he must have picked this up when he was in Peru. And she goes, yeah. She said, this has got a high energy reading. So since then, I've done research. The doll wasn't actually in a tomb, but the doll has been made, was made in the 1950s. So when he acquired it, it had to be maybe about 20 years old because he was in Peru in the 1970s. Okay. But, the, but the doll was made of like natural fibers and materials, but the, but the outfit and the clothing was made from ancient mummy wrappings that oh. were left from previous grave robbers. And the Native Americans in the 1950s were finding these, te these textiles from the graves or just thrown out on the desert floor. And they were using those textiles and making souvenir dolls out of them. Wow. So, so, so I have a doll yeah, that has, exactly. it's like, oh, 500 years old. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know what? This is along the same lines. You've heard of people sometimes that would take materials from old houses to construct mm -hmm. new ones mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. you would say technically that house wasn't that old but because of the materials even if all of it wasn't yeah. from an old house yeah. they would bring yeah. something along it's the same idea the same concept where they use my god I'm, yeah but so, you know so what that Anita <laughs> that even though she said something was on your land mm -hmm. whatever it was doesn't sound like it was really active or intelligent. It was maybe dormant or residual because it sounds like everything changed when you went over there and brought stuff back. It, that that sounds like that was the, the, the jumping off point. Oh, absolutely, Marlene. Um, it, in fact, you almost uh, spell out the, uh, the beginning of my second book where it just says um, things were pretty docile, dormant in my home. And whatever we brought over, we call them the dark trespassers. Mm -hmm. These things were brought in, and Laurie said to us, she said, you activated. It's like whatever was here 
does not like the new things that came in. They're really angry. And there's a war going on that they are complacent and they're here, but then these new things are vying for space and attention, you know. And so she said, you've got a real crazy mix going on here. It's like a battle going on for good and evil. And I figured what had been here, you know, I never had suspected that my house was anything but a loving home. People would come in my house. My house is a reflection of me being an artist. It's filled Mm -hmm. with artwork. My dad was an artist. My great-grandfather was a sculptor. My house is filled with, you know, really personal artwork, things, collections of books and things that I've traveled around the country. I'm I'm a really great lover of Native American um, art and artifacts and things like that. And that's how my friend and I even met. We had met, he was doing a lecture um, at a, a local library about Native American culture in in our area outside of Philadelphia. And, and I met him after and I went up to him and said how much I enjoyed his, uh, you know, his lecture. And we became friends. I mean, he didn't live that far from me. We started, you know, going to museums together and things like that. And, around, and then he was an anthropologist. He had gone out west to get his master's degree and worked um, different um, projects out there. But he was also in South America a great deal because he was uh, Mayan Indian expert. So we had a great love of history and art and things like that. Um, his, in fact, I think his brother had been an artist, um, had been an art teacher. So there was a lot of things in common. His parents, I knew them very well. They, I was over their house for dinner. Um, his mother was just a, a lovely person. And, and we just had a really nice friendship for many years. In fact, I, I, I said to one friend, I said, I really miss our marathon phone conversations. He called me about something that he went to an old library or a bookshop and bought an old book right, and tell me right. about it. And then we discussed, you know, um, he, he knew all about European royalty. Um, his great uncle had been a baron um, back in the early 1900s and was connected with the last Kaiser, you know, in Germany, you know, that type of thing. They were connected with the royal family. So he, he's, his lineage went way back that he was very cultured, very, um, very well-mannered, just a very a uh, really funny guy, b- brilliant, brilliant person, a brill- and he's also a writer. He wrote articles for local um, papers and things, you know, talking about the different holidays, and, and he, was, uh, he loved to recreate, um, as I said, he had been in Philadelphia, and he worked um, at the Ben Franklin um, printing press over there. He would actually wear a costume and discuss about how the printing press worked in Benjamin Franklin's time. And so that love of history is what really connected us. And that's why it was a deep loss for me that when he died so suddenly, but then to also have where is he coming back? Like, what is he trying to message to me? What is he trying to tell me? Why is he still hanging around? And we do answer some of those questions in my first book. And then the second book, as as you asked, Marlene, you know, things happened in my house. And we're still on a journey. Some things seem to be what we understand. And the more that you understand is more comforting and knowledge is power because if you know what you're dealing with sure. then you can't be afraid you know that type of thing so it's it's all with a constant journey that you really are on and i don't want you to give away your second book but sounds, okay. there, there, there was some family secrets though about that you kind of uh, kind of like realized that maybe part of what was going on there was like a dark uh beneath the surface kind of thing going on mm-hmm. as to why maybe they whatever was there did not want you to come across discover. it or discover it right? yeah yeah well in my first book there's um i there is um a chapter 
where we discover something that um, that fa the family kept a secret. My friend, that, like one or two times now, I look back, you know, and I remembered something that he let slip, but it was never across my mind uh, about family connection, and, and it connects with World War II. But the more that we investigated, and the more that I did the research, the more the um, this energy and negative force has come after myself and my son because it's like we've brought to light some really deep family secrets that maybe we're never supposed to be exposed. But I often said, if they didn't want it to be exposed, you should have kept to yourselves and not bother us and not give us right. a problem because it's because you did that to us. We found out the, these things and we wouldn't have even known about it. But it's like you are were so afraid of us discovering you know, maybe the secret that it was like, you know, we did find out and it's and now we understand certain things that lead us to certain conclusions. Uh, certain things might never actually be 100%, but I went as far as getting a researcher who verified certain things for me okay. down in Washington, D.C. archives and also in College Park, Maryland, who did verify certain um, on uh, microfilm, certain things that I was looking for and verifications came because you know, you always worry about what you put in the book and you don't want to hurt right, exactly. family members. But that's why names are changed, locations are, you know, rearranged. Um, I'm not, I've never, I'm nothing is meant to, you know, disturb right, his right, family right. because, because but, is... but, but, but it's part of what we've gone through to explain that, you know, you have to be really careful what you promise people that you want to do for them in the future. You know what? Like... And, and we, we talked about this before we started recording, Anita, that. You know, people now look at these movies or these reality shows and people that get haunted and it's almost like they go looking for it. And people mm -hmm. don't realize that you could so innocently fall up to mm -hmm. your chin mm. in a very disturbing haunting that followed you because it wasn't like that you like you said at that point you were so anxious to like say, you know what, I did right by my friend. Mm -hmm. I took care of everything. I'm getting out of this house and bye-bye. Yes, yes. And, and we, we thought we closed uh, a chapter. And, and, but something very cryptic, um, Laurie had said to us when she was there um, at the end, near the end of October because she had come with her team to kind of help us out to decide, you know, we need the house cleansed before somebody else buys right. this, this problem. Um, but she said, I don't think your problems are over yet. And I said, oh, dear. I said, dear God, don't tell me that, Laurie. I said, I said, it has to be over. She said, well, you brought artifacts to his house, your house. She said, I, I just hope everything can remain calm. And, and, you know, but she said, I have a feeling, you know, things might not be, you know, a closed, you know, might be a closing door over here. She said something else could happen. She said there's no 100% guarantee in the paranormal. And then Bill Bean said something to us was very profound. He said, you know, Anita and Chris, he said, and we were sitting around the table. We had offered him uh, a sandwich. You know, we were just talking as, as like we have known him all our lives. And he said, you did not go looking for this. It found you. He said, and, the, and the, so now the question is, why why you and why Chris? Right. Because what has you, made it, you guys? That, this is this is yeah. something I'm glad you mentioned that things got mm -hmm. so dark, for lack of a better word, that Bill mm -hmm. Bean luckily came in and has helped you out with mm -hmm. what's going mm -hmm. on in the house. What's happening yeah, to, yeah. to your son? Yes, yeah, Bill Bean has been um, a great source of comfort. Um, this is what he does. He, he goes and helps families that have been uh, confronted with uh, very, very unusual and unexplainable 
forces, maybe you know, something could be brought upon themselves, you know, in case of a Ouija yeah. board or mm-hmm. somebody messing around, right. which I tell people do not fool around with these no, things. No, but that's that, that. It's not a joke. I said, this is not fun stuff. I said, we were not, we were just trying to do our job, you know, figured it's straight, straight forward, you know, as much hours as we need to put into this to get this estate settled. Now, now, granted, maybe some people would have hired a dumpster and thrown everything out Mm -hmm. within a weekend, but that wasn't me because as I explained to you before, there was a lot of certificates and documentation and things for people in the will that needed a confirmation for, for the estate to be settled. And I had to go through every single piece of paper. And we're talking about tens of thousands of, of documents right. and things that were left over from him, from his parents, because nothing was thrown away for 30 years. And in his mother alone, there were 15 wardrobes of clothing hanging in the basement. And in each wardrobe was stuffed at least 200 items in there because oh, I gave wow. I gave over I gave over 700 bags to charities in clothing in household items in books and then the library got books I gave um, all kinds of other toiletries and things towels and other things to homeless shelters uh, I mean my wow. son would say to me mom what are you washing you know all this stuff for I said look these are in the closet. There's yeah. tons of towels in here. I don't know why they bought so many towels, but I'm washing them. I'm going to give them to the, the right, homeless yeah, shop. They could use make them. some good use out of them somehow. So, so, so I, I, I could not see you perfectly good clothing and stuff to be thrown out, so I made sure it went to different organizations. One, one missionary group I must have found, well, he had worked part-time for a clothing company, uh, mostly menswear, and there was shirts, brand-new dress shirts in these plastic cellophane packets and there's boxes and boxes of them because I guess he couldn't see them throwing them out either. And, but th- don't ask me what he thought he was going to do with all these shirts, but right. he just couldn't see them being thrown out when that place went out of business. So I gave them to a missionary group because these fellows need shirts. Sure, they need the dress shirts. So, so I said, okay, here you go. Here's a bag full. And because I did that, you know, it took longer sure. to disperse the things, but at least I knew this didn't la- go up in land. So that was that very thing nice went of you, to, though, Anita, that, that you took you know, to I, I, I just, that was my conscience. And also, he would want that. Mm-hmm. Also, he had money set aside. Uh, there was some money that they said, well, whatever is left over, um, you know, it should go here or there or it goes to the university where he got his master's degree. And I... I went and I called the president out in Utah and I said, um, would you consider not just the money to go to the school, I wanted to go to the archaeology department right. in his honor and use these for grants because it was something like twenty-eight dollars to $30,000 that had been set aside. And I said, I want this directly to go to the programs in South America where the people are doing investigation and excavations down there. Right. And he said, you know what, we will do that. And because I, I wrote to the uh, the head of the chairman of the, of the archaeology department, the president, vice president, went talked to several teachers. And I said, let's do what we need to do. I will provide you with the documents and we'll have the, the bank cut you a check. But I want this to go in his name to be right. used for further. Re- and I got the most beautiful letter from the, the college president, you know, telling me thank you yeah, for because... thinking of that and doing that. And we're going to be that's going to be grants going down to South America for people to use for yeah, research. They, they, so. they, all these departments. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, especially stuff like archaeology, they depend a lot on grant money. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's. I mean, this is the way I needed to do this to honor him because he would want me to do that. And and I think he knew if he had to leave it in my hands, 
it would be done to the best of my ability, you know, and, and that's why it did take almost two years to clear out the estate, to be able to do the things I was doing. But what it left residually, it's like the stress was left behind, certain questions left behind. Sometimes I felt betrayed because did he take advantage of my good nature, you know, mm-hmm. that maybe all this was left and he should have realized how much is he leaving in my hands. And I think that's part of why he rem- he seemed to be remaining behind until he could apologize to me, right. and that will that's something that does come about that um, I'm given confirmation that he is he tells me how much he loved my loved me as a friend and thank you for all that you've done and I'm so sorry right. I maybe left his this intentions in were always like you said he done mm-hmm. unexpectedly maybe in his you know how we procrastinate yeah that we'll yeah, say yeah, oh I'll, I'll get around to it I'll do it I'll do it you know I, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. That that's that's basically what it was. But sometimes me being a human being, you know, being confronted course, with all this, I go, oh my gosh! I mean, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. I can't believe you know that people expect me to do all this. But yet I did it, you know, and I and I came through. And I, I guess I wouldn't have a story then if I didn't live but through. Let me tell you because... something. Apart from that, I mean, I know that there's you know, like you said, but. When you mentioned that thing about, you know, even though he sounds like he's got artifacts from all over the place, but you know that Mm -hmm. the Mayans were into human sacrifice. And when you mentioned Uh that thing about that they were using basically just stuff, even though it was technically made in the 1950s, they were repurposing, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah, yes, of repurposing of things of a highly spiritual nature. You know, you know and, the, and, these, and, and a lot of people will say, well, this is the religion they practice. And if you look at it through our modern sensibilities, we're mm-hmm. still like, you know, like human sacrifice, hello. But still, that's, yeah, that's yeah. pretty dark out there. I mean, as far as the, the energy, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. that's like, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of the things where the, the amount of um, artifacts things that he collected because he did travel all around the world. It's sometimes maybe certain spiritual energies aren't compatible with each other. So it's like they don't like being next to each other or I've got a box of this and I've got a box of that. And, you know, even though a lot of it's benign, most of it is just of a collectible nature, like more souvenirs. But there are um, the Native American artifacts that um, I have collected. Some of them are quite old. Um, I'm actually, I restored a buffalo shaman um, headdress that wow. um, that I, fa- I found actually in several pieces and I've restored that and you know it's uh, you know it's the original buffalo and it's the horns it's all the wow. beadwork and it's from the southern plains you know out in out west and uh, you know that alone is you know highly you know spiritual but it's like so many things that he had yet in fact I found it just wrapped up in paper and with a black trash bag and it was on a shelf wow. and my my son picked it up and he said i don't know this has horns you know he said don't tell me he's got a viking helmet in here <laughs> you were like oh, oh, oh my god <laughs> and so i opened it up i go no i said it's a shaman that's a buffalo headdress christopher and me, me being an american indian uh, lover and painting american indian portraiture and stuff while i was out west i mean i identified all these things because i've collected native american like you know, all right. mostly just things of uh from the 1970s, I've, I've collected some turquoise jewelry and beautiful pottery and things from the different places I've visited. But he's had some things that are quite old, you know, and that he's picked up on his travels from private collections. And I have sold a few pieces, especially 
some you would be interested to some paranormal uh, people in the community, and they have told me the energy they've gotten from so, certain amount of these objects. And I said, well, buyer beware. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> you want to buy this? I said, you know where it came from. I'm giving you a certificate of authenticity. It came from this house. I said, it's one of the artifacts he collected, and if you get energy from it, be my guest to study it because uh, I don't want it back. <laughs> right, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, you, you're going to, it's going to stay with you. <laughs> if you want it, you, but, but I've also been very candid. Another uh, another fellow and, and his team member, they had contacted me and they saw, I had some things up for auction on one of my um, Facebook sites, and it was a, a Native American stat. It was a South American statue, not um, not ancient. It was just mostly more modern, put together. Mm -hmm. And they said, "Gee, can you guarantee we're going to get EVPs from this?" I said, "No." To be quite honest with you, I don't know if I can guarantee you there's going to be EVPs from it. But it did come from a house that's been discovered to be haunted. So it's up to you if you want to purchase or not. I'm not, you know, forcing right. anybody to buy anything. So they decided not to. But I thought, well, I'm just being honest with people. Sure. If there is something connected that you pick up, then that's, I guess, a bonus because that's what you're, why you're trying to buy these things. But I don't try to sell anything to anybody under the idea, oh, buy this, it's haunted. You know, you got to buy but a haunted artifact. What? Considering <laughs> what experiences that you've had, Anita, you must have been thinking they don't know what they're asking for. Yes, yeah, I, I tell people, do you really want this? Or they'll say, oh, you're so lucky. You were in a haunted house. I go, no, I wasn't lucky. I said, I had no idea what I was falling into. And believe me, the repercussions and what we have suffered and things we have, have happened to us in these last 10 years, you would not want that to happen to you. I said, so, so but actually we've had people almost in a jealous kind of like being snippy at you go, oh, well, yeah, you, you know, I, I've been trying to find EVPs or trying to do investigation for years. I never got any of that stuff. And I, and here you, you know, you're not even an investigator and, and all this happened to you. I go, well, maybe that's because I wasn't an investigator. I was a novice. And I, I said, I don't, there's no rhyme or reason why people get but, chosen. I said, but it's like, if you want to trade places, but would you like to get scratched? the way I did, that you're bleeding from it? Or would you like to have where you're thrown to the ground unexpectedly and get hurt or see your son get thrown to the ground or physically attacked? I mean, these are things that we never dreamed that could happen to us. But when something is that powerful can yes. break the veil and touch the living, then you know that there's forces that they could do anything. So you don't, I said, I don't invite groups to come to my home and I said that would be inviting like more of a of a joke oh, well, or see, disrespect. Is, they're, they're, I said I can't do that. Unrealistic. They're doing it. You know, like when you go see a horror movie, that when you're there, mm -hmm. you get really scared. But then you mm -hmm. know, in the back of your mind, the lights come up. Okay, the movie's right, over. Right. And then you, you you know that sense of disbelief. And at the end, you're thinking, okay, I'm going home and I'm gonna go back to normal. And and I'm mm -hmm. thinking you must be wanting to say there is no the the it's the movie's over. It's going mm -hmm. with you. Yeah, yeah, but we, we, but I told people, I said, there's only the one investigative team that's ever been here has been consistent with Laurie um, Hall with her group because I know how they operate and anyone connected with her, they are respectful and they know my son, they know me, they know Bill Bean. They, they know we're within a small group that we 
are connected because I, I've had people, a guy called me from Louisiana that wanted to come up and do a, a, a research thing. I said, you know what, I have to tell you, I cannot have strangers, people no. just coming up here. No. I said, what, what am I left with once you're here that you provoked and I have to yes. live with it after you yes. leave? So, so the people have to understand when you're living in the environment, even when I was at my friend's house, I would be there, I could close the door, come home and feel like, well, I could take a deep breath um, you know, I'm safe here. When it actually then comes into your home, your sanctuary, and yes. you're dealing with it on on a, a weekly basis, you you always it keeps you off balance. Mm-hmm. You're trying to second guess, you know, your your mentality. Like, you know, did I just see it? Am I am I mentally ill? Um, yes. When you see things that you cherish have been broken in spite, like spiteful work that you are then heartbroken that these things have been destroyed in front of your eyes. Um, my son has seen things. He, he does um, miniature models. He's a, a, a very, very wonderful model constructor. He's actually seen his models being thrown across the room and smashed against a, a, a door frame. You know, and he's like, he's livid with anger because that took him a lot of hours to yes. build that model and, and, you know, to fix it. Or have things disappear on you. You look for two hours and then it's right back to where, you know, you originally thought it was. You know, it's like keeping you off kilter it's like fooling around mentally with you these are all what the you know really the evil ends when they you know when you aren't deeply connected with a sense of who you are and spirituality then the other things that we can't explain they look for opportunities to come and drain you and make you feel like you know you're worthless or there's something wrong with me and that's when people go to addiction you know people will turn to alcohol and other things to numb that pain but I'd rather take the pain and face it head-on and say this is my house these are my rules and you don't belong here and you go you leave I'm not leaving my house because people say why don't you leave well yeah when, when I've spent all I mean I'm a single parent I raised my son by myself sweat, blood, and tears I put into my house to keep it going, mm-hmm. to give my son a decent um, way of life, and, you know, and also to be able to be able to create. Uh, no, this is, that's a sacrifice I don't want to make, and I tell them, go get an afterlife. <laughs> I have right, a life, exactly. you go get an afterlife. <laughs> and a lot of, and, and that's, you know, that's very important, Anita, because you are not feeling powerless. A lot of people no. in these situations mm-hmm. give up their power too easily. And mm-hmm. basically what it wants to do is it feeds off, uh, you know, it, it pushing your buttons and make you feel angry, sad, distressed. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever's mm-hmm. there, obviously it's dark. And it's it, it wants to uh, wear you down. And the fact that you are refusing, that speaks volumes right there. Because to, yeah. to, to whatever is there, every mm-hmm. time you refuse to back down, and you claim your space it's like you know mm. what they say like the the scratching on the on the chalkboard mm. to that thing mm-hmm. that's exactly and you when you least expect it that thing is going to vacate it's going to well well that's that's where we are with the way that we have a sense that we can live every day because we live in hope we live in the light and we don't choose the darkness um you know there's a, d- a deep sense of like purpose of what we've done and and i wrote my books pretty much with the idea like I never expected to write one book let alone two but I was encouraged by people 
um, that just happened to be serendipity. You know, a, a friend up in New York had been a former reporter. She said, show me some of your chapters. You know, I'd like to see what you've done. And she encouraged me. She said, keep on writing. Just write with your heart. You know the story. This is you that you're talking and you're sharing your experience. And, you know, then, of course, I was able to get, you know, it edited better, you know, and, you know just sure. whatever you needed to do. But I've always had a good sense of when I was in English class and things, I know how to spell words and I try to really be very careful how, I, you know, I structure the book. But I knew how I wanted to do right. it. And luckily, um, after I had the manuscript completed, um, I sent query letters um, out to about 40 agents looking for a literary agent. And then um, I got an agent. Um, happened to find one that was in Philadelphia, a woman um, literary agent, um, sent my query letter and she contacted me and said, send me your manuscript within like two hours. And she's been my agent now since 2011. She's helped me get the first book uh, published and the second book. Now she runs a small boutique publishing company and I'm working with her to publish other people's books. And it's been very, very rewarding. I never thought, you know, I, I mean, I trained to be, I went to an art school in Philadelphia and I was a teacher and I was a portrait painter, never dreaming that, you know, this would be another thing that I could use my creative energy. But it's been very rewarding being in the literary field and, you know, producing these books. And also, if I can help people to understand that you can be the most innocent, naive person and just through a set of very, you know, unusual circumstances that you don't see coming, you could be put in a position that you never dreamed that you'd be in, like I, I found myself right, in. exactly. Yeah. Like what I said before, you're not the ter person that you started dabbling with a Ouija board. So people say, well, no. you asked mm. for it. No, mm. you don't have to be out there actively searching for that wow paranormal moment. Like, you know, these people that you were mm. describing that wanted to buy the artifacts because mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. hoping you were nowhere in that realm of thinking uh, when this kind of like comes in out of left field. And even then, mm. you're just being a good friend. You were being a good friend. So, uh, and, that's, and that's pretty simply what it was, Marlene. There was no other real catch to it. I mean, I knew him. I, I was so devastated you know, when he passed away, but I didn't even have time right. to grieve. You know, like it was like you're, you had to get right to business. The very next day after, he, you know, I had to identify him at the hospital and I had to meet with the lawyer and he just, he said, you, you've got the keys to the kingdom. And he lays out all this stuff on the desk. I go, what? I mean, what am I going to do? I don't know how right. to do this. Like, are you kidding me? And then, you know, to go to the house and then see what you needed there. So it was all put, like, it was all on the job training or you know, contacting like i had to find out does he have an account at this bank what what's over right, here yeah. nothing was really spelled out in so many ways and you know then tracking down oh okay this stuff has to go to this this these relatives in germany oh and this has to go to the friend that he knew out west and each stage of the game it was like okay if nothing is in the will then these are things that go to me which i knew right away because he stated it right in the will that these artifacts this all this goes to Anita. So those were placed in, you know, bins and things that had to go to me directly. So I try to keep, you know, compartment, you know, say compartment. Oh, I can't even pronounce the word. but don't worry, I get that. that. Compartments, putting it in different compartments. You know, I can't talk it, right. It, it, oh, it's paranormal. I can't talk tonight. Now I'm kidding. <laughs> but do you know what, Anita? It's it's this is the thing. It, even if let's, if you take the paranormal spin out of that whole situation, mm, mm. just what you were faced with, like you said, here you were living your life, taking care of, you know, stuff that happens to everyday people. You had two mm, elderly parents mm. with health issues. 
okay? <clears throat> and it's not like, okay, well, my friend passed away unexpectedly. And I'm ha- this was like, surprise, he's got a basement that runs the length of his house full of artifacts yeah. and papers. <laughs> and yeah. just what you said, even on his mom's clothing, that it was like, yeah. okay, what? Everything, everything to the extreme, like from floor to ceiling, boxes and boxes and yeah. it's like uh, you go in the closet stuff that the, the closet was so stuffed with things in the parents bedroom right. that they they didn't need hangers anymore they were just suspended by the sheer <laughs> the weight right. of them being stuffed in the closet it's like are you yeah, kidding exactly. me it was, exactly. it was a joke i well, mean i mean that, that we had we had to laugh i said what else can we expect but i'll tell you a strange strange thing we were taking the clothes we just spent like, okay, we'll take a day or two here, just clean out this one closet. Took the trash bags, would fill them up with the clothing, and as I said, we gave a lot to charity. I was taking clothes out, stuffing in it, because I was, I was making them in different categories. Okay, these are jackets and this is skirts. I put stuff in a trash bag, and as I'm trying to gather it up so I could put the twist dye, cold air rushes out of the, of the black trash bag for about 30 seconds. I said, Chris, get over here. What is this? Because it was rushing out of the bag, cold air. Wow. I said, nobody would believe me if I right. call them. I said, this is absolutely crazy. I said, yeah. just because I put in this bag and the, and the cold air is coming out of it. And my son said, well, you, don't want, you want normal here? He said, this no. place isn't normal, Bob. And, and he should know. I mean, he was right along every step of the way. I mean, I would not have done it without with my son helping me out. He, we've been close all, all, I brought him up by myself, a single parent. He's a wonderful uh, kid, not just because he's my kid, he's very talented, but he's got, as I said, a sense of humor. He was very grounded and he would make, you know, and sometimes, you know, he went really too far and I said, well, there's your activity going because I think you're being disrespectful. And, you know, being a young guy, you know, sure. with his friends, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're saying stuff, you know, and, and that's in the book too. I mean, we don't try to say, oh, you know, we're just, we're all uh, 100%, you know, angels at this. You know, we were all like upset and angry at different times because it's like, you know, you walk by and you have a little green plastic bucket on the kitchen table filled with pens and pencils. And my, my friend must have had a, 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 fa- a like what they call fetish for, he just collected pens and pencils and, and little notepads and stuff because he was always making notes and things. And to have that bucket just thrown at you and all these items are just all over the floor and then my son said i'm i'm done for the day and he just goes out the door and he said that bucket just hit me in the head with all this stuff and it's like i i don't blame you i'm closing up too you know like like it, it but some things i would confront them with, you know with what, but the, at the end of and, the day anita you guys were being attacked yeah okay? yeah you were being yeah, attacked we were. and that's a normal human reaction because they went from stuff flying across at the other end of the room to being stuff mm-hmm, being thrown mm-hmm. at you yeah, yeah, so, you're gonna be, yeah, you're you're gonna be upset, and and also the the back and forth where you figure there, there's some kind of malicious, you know, like yes. they're just having fun at your expense, yeah. you know. Um, some of the things, the EVP things, we picked up and then had one of the paranormal teams just listen to it. They said that's that's crazy because there'd be full sentences. Yeah. Some things would say, 
um, oh, tonight the devil's coming. You know, I mean, like weird, weird EVP things. Yeah. Um, uh, something sounded residual, like tweeting birds, because we found a bird cage in the basement that the mom had canaries at one time. So we heard. I go, why is there birds like tweeting on, you know, in, in the background? And then you realize, oh well, that's right, there was a bird cage. So some of it was residual. Some was directly acting with us. And something we we actually heard the voice we said, get out told us to get out one day and you know it, it, when you have so angry because we were intruders you know we were in the house that for so long the people you know very closed in you know they were they were kept to themselves you know they they you know and they had a secret to protect you know so it's like you know no wonder like certain things happened here because later on you talk to a neighbor the neighbor saying you know how my friend you know just growing up it was hard in some ways for him you know and he he you know would would talk to her and unload after his parents died you know telling him it wasn't the greatest of childhood you know and he had things that just kind of festered and i think between him being unexpectedly, you know, passed on, me being stressed out, it just fed on all that neg you know, those negatives and things taking advantage of me and my son and, and that's why the escalation happened. And then even here we had escalation and it's it remains like kind of in a sort of a holding pattern here. And then we'll have maybe something rev up but then it, it calms down again. So it so but we feel that there's portals here that ebb and flow you know according to maybe it could be atmospheric changes if we have a lot of um, thunder and lightning sometimes you know maybe there'll be more activity um our basement is not the most pleasant place to be in thankfully my washer and dryer are not in the basement so i don't have to go down there so i was gonna say so you can get your laundry done right (laughs) yeah but um but what when bill beam was here in january on his one of his excursions here to do a a really a thorough blessing of the house and of the grounds um my son caught a photograph in the basement that was actually not we can't even say reflected it just showed up onto the aluminum ductwork that goes above our heater and air conditioning system that's in the basement and Chris had said to Bill he said Bill I'm following you with my cell phone he said I get the feeling that there's something following you in the basement as he's going around saying the prayers and blessing with holy water and Chris snapped the picture and the face that we caught um, as I told you I said Kevin Baker from Glasgow Scotland who is international uh, paranormal expert said it's been one of the most compelling and frightening wow. photo, photos he's ever seen of a face. The face is part skeletal, part looks like um, something alien, and it's got teeth. I'll send you the picture, uh, Marlene. Yes. Um, I'll, oh, you have to send you that God. picture. And and also when Bill was in front of our old fireplace, because as I said, we're built in the foundation of an 1800 uh, farmhouse. He was in front of the uh, fireplace and was blessing the area and saying, I'm driving out anything that doesn't belong here. And we all heard a loud groan, like kind of like annoying groan at him, like, oh, you again? Like, you know, like, <laughs> and we wish we had the recorder on at that point, but we didn't. But, uh, yeah, we got some really crazy pictures, you know, that um, explained, like Bill has said, he said, I witnessed this down in the basement, we could see what was going on, and we have the pictures to prove it. He said, you know, we, he said, there is something still there. He comes and he's sort of like we call it a booster shot that he gives us right. to protect us. And then as things, you know, time goes by, you know, you know, you get emotional. It's everyday living. Things can maybe upset you, and it feeds off of that, you know, and sure. then you have where it revs up, where, you know, I just have weird things happen all the time. Um, just recently, I, I'm an antique doll collector, and I restore antique dolls. And my one antique doll, which 
never, you know, I restored her a while ago. She's been sitting in the same chair. Even when I clean and things, I put her back in the chair. Well, just two weeks ago, I went by because she sits right near where I go into the kitchen. And I said, boy, her head looks strange. Her head looks like it's drooping down. And I do know, you know, like you have to restring dolls, but she had been restrung not long ago. And I picked up the doll and her leg fell off. I go, okay, what happened to the bungee cord in here? Why is this loose? And I I look through and there's usually a little hook that attaches through the legs into the final leg. And there's a little bar that the hook attaches and all the bungee cord acts, acts as a, str- a tension right. piece it's going to hold the head in place because she's hollow inside you know she's a german uh bisque doll and just the head's this the rest is composition so i had to partially undress her i had to get another hook and reach stronger made her tighter go okay okay i don't know what that was all about that was really strange i said because that's never happened before i mean i mean you'd have to really fool around for what a i was gonna to say the, is it, it, it <laughs> sounds like this doll is always in the same place it's like nobody touches it. yeah she Nobody touches it, and that the leg, you know, and the only hint was because I saw the head droop. I go, what happened with her tension? You know, why is the head drooping? Then only last week, and usually Sundays tend to be an active day around here, um, I'm in the kitchen again. I hear a noise near the doll, and the little basket that's always on her lap, the basket's halfway across the room that had been thrown. I go, thanks. Thanks for ruining my basket. (laughs) And, And someone said, oh, is your doll home? Haunted. I go, no, the doll's not haunted. Something is doing that right. to the doll. To they're, they're making me upset because, right, because they're attacking this, this, my doll. I, this item means, you, you, it means something to you. Uh, exactly. It's like if, yeah, well, if you didn't care about the doll, the doll would get no attention whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, okay, uh, uh, you got my attention now. And the thing is, the doll, it, and it's not, my, my friend said, well, the name of the doll is Aurora, which was my mother's name. And she has red hair, this gorgeous red reddish brown hair and dark eyes and I said gee I have to name this doll Aurora because she's got the coloring of my mother my mother was like had the lightest skin but the darkest eyes and red hair that even though she came their family came from Naples Italy but her grandfather had red hair and and she had two redheaded brothers you know and so red hair runs in our family so mm-hmm. I but I said nah that wasn't my mom doing that my mom wouldn't she no. wouldn't hurt my doll she knows how much I love my dolls I said but maybe they know that that doll means a lot to me yeah. so they're trying to do something to make me upset but I mean I have been working on you know for the last 20 something years collect antique dolls I've always collected dolls from around the world never dreamed any kind of doll haunting anything could be you know bad and sinister so I told people I said I feel really bad when they'll take a perfectly good maybe not a real expensive doll a doll they bought maybe a Kmart or Walmart or something and turn it into like a gothic horrible looking doll I said to me it's like they're facing what the dolls because I have a deep appreciation for dolls uh, antique dolls especially they are miniature sculptures I I actually clothe them I get antique materials and I make antique clothing uh, by hand like my grandmother was a wonderful seamstress and I guess I have her knack for just Mm -hmm. I just like look at the doll and I figure out proportions and I make the underclothing from old handkerchiefs and from uh, you know just beautiful pieces of lace and things people don't know what to do with and I make undergarments or sometimes I make a little skirt or things and that just gives me joy that I just do it for fun you know know and I have a you so. pointed out something because you know there's people sometimes that they'll collect things for the sake of just collecting them mm-hmm. and they'll mm-hmm. put them away or they almost look at it sometimes even as an investment per se 
you know. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. But that's not what you do. You, 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 you pointed out that these things bring you joy, that you invest your time and your energy. And mm-hmm. I think that that's why that doll is getting that special attention. Yeah, I think it might be, you know, and, and as I said, I've never been fearful of having these dolls right. here, you know. No, it's you know, not the doll. You know, it's not the doll. Yeah. No, and, and some people do actually have a phobia about dolls, you know, because I had someone had come into my home and um, I was getting an estimate for doing some painting work. They in ran the out going, ah! and, and, and she saw the dolls and she didn't, She said, I, I can't take this job. I said, yeah, but I'll be packing them away if they're going to be painting. She, she, she didn't come back. But, but I, you know, and it didn't even dawn uh, on me that people... Because I always collect the dolls. I knew some people either like dolls or just don't collect them, but they've always been something from when I was a little girl I collected. And I was lucky to have family members who did travel around the world. Like my uncle, he was in Egypt, and he, and he sent me a doll from Egypt. You right. know, or I had a cousin who went to Machu Picchu, and she brings me home right. a doll, a little doll from Peru, not a mummy doll like my friend had, but you know, a little Peruvian. But I always collected and thought the costumes and the faces, and then a friend pointed out, she says, no wonder you do portraits, Anita. Just look what you've always collected, beautiful fabrics and you know, the dolls and the faces. And I've always had an affinity to paint portraits, and especially American Indians. I, I've done so. You know, if anybody goes on my website, they'll see some Native American things I've done, you know, some portraits. But um, it's just, it's, this is what I love to do. I love to restore right. things for people from other generations, especially photographic restoration, uh, restoring paintings, you know, cleaning paintings for people that have been uh, hidden in an attic or someone's got an antique doll that they need to restore. And mm-hmm. it's just with great love that I do these because I love history so much, you know, right. and, and having all this happen to me that I've actually been able to study more history and delve into other things. I said, well, I've always tried to find that the, there's a good thing that happened out of the bad. Like this is something right, that exactly. has led me to something else. And even though this has been a terrifying type of situation and things that, you know, you never expected, um, it is something to like, okay, okay, I have this in my life. How can I make this into sure. something that could be meaningful or benefit somebody as far as a book or talking on your wonderful show, you know, being able well, to share you know this what? with and you. That, and that's exactly the best way to handle it. You mm-hmm. have said, I'm not going to be victimized by whatever mm-hmm. this is. Okay. Maybe pretending right. to be this or that and, uh, you know, trying to wear you down even by picking on your things that, you, you know, objects that you've invested your time that have your energy, for lack of a better word. Mm. It's basically mm-hmm. when you're describing that you put the clothing together and you do all this restoration, you're putting your energy of love into it because you love doing it. Mm. And it almost wants to drive you away from that enjoyment. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. you're like oh, saying, I, I'm yes, having I none of that. that. Yeah, well, that's that, that, that's a good point. I, I never, you know, I never thought of that way. It could be trying to um, d- disillusion me from doing yeah. the things that I love to do. You know, um, I mean, well, uh, Bill Bean pointed out one when I was um, helping him with his uh, sex. This, this actually, I think it's his fifth book, fifth or sixth book. Um, we were working with he had manuscript. I was um, I was able to add, uh, contribute some content, and he said, Anita, if things are revving up while you're working on this, I. I don't want you to be in any danger. He was very worried because right, we were working sure. on the manuscript. Absolutely. And the thing is, my, my agent has been 
a, a wonderful person because she's had her own paranormal things happen. That even She's had some things in her past, but when she took on my project, she said, you know, I'm going to have to expect that there could be some really strange things that maybe might go on. And I said, oh, I hope not. I said, I hope, you know, this is going to be a positive thing that you're working with me. We, we, we still, we're, we're, we're good friends. Well, she has said when she was working, well, getting my manuscript printed out because she was getting it to, you know, to publishers or things who were interested her whole printing machine completely came apart. Like she said, how'd you like to see just a, a, one of the, I, I don't know, there's a little roller. She said it spit out a, a, one of the a pieces of it right across the room. She goes, Anita, she said, my printer just completely like wow. broke apart. And she said, she said, well, I was doing your manuscript. When she was getting me to do the contract, she had uh, contacted me. We were going over things. So it was back and forth for about a month or two. If she was going to take me on. She said, well, I didn't know it. She's also a former uh, lawyer, uh, well, actually a former district attorney, that she was actually testing me before she took me on mm -hmm. to say, I've got to ask these girls. She won't know I'm asking these questions. And she said, I'm going to tell you, you, you came through flying colors. I asked you questions, and you never wavered from the exact thing you would tell me all the time. That's why I knew you were telling the truth. That's why I could take you on, you know, because this is a really serious subject. But she said, um, she said, there's crazy stuff going on. She said, yeah. and she said, she's trying to get me the contract. So she sent it to me email and the email didn't go through. She said, did you get the contract? I go, no. She said, you mean it? She said, okay, I'm going to have to send it to you. Well, she goes to the document drawer and the drawer is locked where the contract's in there. She says, where's the, the key that's always there? The key disappeared. It took her oh, two weeks. The key just returned back into the bowl. She goes, now I can send you the contract because my key's just uh, reappeared again. It's like, <laughs> reappeared. Yeah. She goes, what is going on? She said, this is absolutely crazy. Oh, she's had files disappear. That she said, could you send me that file again? It was on my computer. It just disappeared off the computer. I go, okay. <laughs> I said, I know. She goes, oh, I expect. She said, it figures. What else is going to happen? Oh, oh yeah. She's, she's gotten used to really strange things that we, we converse back and forth. Okay, what, what's new? What's going on? You know, and she'll, yeah, she'll tell me something. And yeah, it's, she, it's, she just, it's just been crazy. But she, she wants to help my son with, um, you know, his next his book that he's writing. Um, also, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing something a little different, too. I'm currently doing an outline on a book about my parents. And my okay. parents had a very special uh, love, um, a very special uh, relationship. And they were married 65 years before wow. my dad passed away. Um, and they had married right after World War II. So there was, but there was a very unusual beginning they had, um, how they had met. And it's just, um, my, my dad was a very special person in my mom. They, they were very loving people. Their family was everything. My, my, and I, I think the source of my strength is from having such yes. down-to-earth, hardworking yes. parents. Yes. And, you know, and I don't know anything different yeah, than that. that also, that, Believe it or not, that was your blueprint for life. Yes. You know, parents are, and, and, and they, they give mm -hmm. you that, when you're growing up, that sense of stability. And let's mm -hmm. face it, and you've had a child, Anita, kids mm -hmm. look at their parents and try to imitate everything they do. Yeah, for better yes. or for I mean, worse. Exactly. I mean, we, 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 we don't have to say it all the time. It's our actions mm -hmm. speak louder than our oh, words. Absolutely. You know, that, you know, and my dad being, a, he was an artist, you know, I grew up with the arts. My mother was a wonderful cook. Um, her family met everything. She did beautiful selling her mother, my grandmother, who I didn't know 
uh, she had died when I was young, but she did beautiful. She used to make wedding gowns and wedding dresses, you know, and, and, and bridesmaids dresses. We have pictures of that, you know. And I still have my mom's wedding gown that she made. Wow. But there's, but there's just things that I always love, like the antique materials, and you know, just I said I, sh I should have been born back in the 1800s so we could wear those beautiful dresses with the bustles, you know, and the, yeah. the trains. And and my son said, Well, how do you stuff. know you didn't live back then, Mom? Maybe you did. You know? Let <laughs> you know, me tell you something, <laughs> The more, you, the more you describe yourself and the way you are, I am not surprised that you're targeted because you are the antithesis of what was in there. And even maybe the upbringing that your friend had. You see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Little, mm -hmm. You know, the little that you've been told about? Yes, yes. You, uh, you may, might have had parallel existence, but diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm yes. saying? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, being that he was very close to his mother, and I was close to my mom too. You know that. I mean, there's. I mean, I could. I could see the gentleness in him, but he had a really rough road um, right. in so many ways. You know, and and there's things that you know that I won't discuss. You know, because they're private between right. him and I. Sure. But 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 I knew that he had suffered. You know, different things. Um, and he used his intellect and his you know his great knowledge to share. I mean, he was always giving lectures to uh you know groups of people that you know he gave of his time he would go to children's groups he did wonderful displays i mean that's why i have so many artifacts because a lot of the things he used in his exhibits and things for like libraries and he would do it for different um retirement groups all those artifacts and things that he shared with people that's what i have today you know that right. and it's like and really i'm the last measured like i have his things and hopefully you know i want to be able to preserve what's there and something is going to have to let go but it's like he spent all this time collecting certain things you know that he that meant a lot to him and nobody else in the family you know were really interested in it like even i said to his brother you know here's more things he, he got two i think he said he had to order two storage units just for all the stuff that I gave him because right. he said, you know, I don't know what you'll go through. You know, you're going to throw everything out. And I said, well, you don't know me. I said, I'll go through everything and right. you will get everything that I can pack up. And he was very, very grateful. We, we became friends. And at one point, I as say, I said, I don't think been, he liked it. must he didn't like me very much. If, if they weren't able to make up before, you know, he passed. Yeah. Away. Well, yeah. They, yeah. They, they left with their blood and even with um, the mother, the mother um, didn't see her older son. I mean, there was, um, I, I came across certain things, you know, like a letter here and there. And it was like very, very heartbreaking to see, mm -hmm. you know, the rift in the family. Sure. And, you know, and my, and my, my friend, you know, he, you know, in some ways, um, you know, he was uh, like, it was his own fault in some ways, but other ways you could see, like, you know, they didn't make amends, you know. And right. it's like after that, I tried to do what I can to mend the rift to the brother by making sure none of his things were thrown out. Right. There were things that he had even forgotten about and that also family heirlooms, things that meant a lot to his family. There was um, a family album that was uh, meant so much to him and it was stated it had to go to a cousin overseas and he was in tears. He said, wow. please don't send that album overseas. He said, I don't know why my brother would want to do that. And I said, you know what? Um, I, I call him, I mean, I'm in the story, he has a different name, but I said, look, uh, Carl, I'm going to, I, I said, you know, I, this is what I do for a living on a photographic restoration. I have a scanner. I'm going to scan every single picture in this album and all the labeling. And in fact, I found another leather bound album that's empty. I'm going to fill that with all the reproductions 
and put that in an album. And that's where I was telling you, I was looking through German dictionary know, yeah, with a word so here and there. That was so sweet of you, honey. That was, yeah. that's incredibly, that was yeah, very giving of you. And I gave him the original album, you know, this is your family legacy. And I said, do you think they're going to know the difference? I said, no. I'm, I said, that doesn't mean as much to them, to you. Right. So he was very grateful. So then I sent the uh, copies of all the pictures and everything exactly the way they were in the book to the, the people in Germany. So they would get that. So, I mean, these are the things that, you know, you go beyond the call of duty, but you have to do what's right. right. You know, when it and comes down to it, you have to make you feel right that exactly. you do it. So that this was the right thing to do. That speaks yeah. volumes. Well, Anita, thank you so much for spending this time tonight. Honey. Oh, I wanted to talk your ear off, Marlene. to talk to you. I'm telling you, I'm look. I, I want you to come back. I, I, I want to hear more stories. And I know, like you said, that even your son has had his own experiences. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well. If anybody's interested, if uh, if I may, you yeah, could go course. to. Uh, um, I actually, you could go to actually to the page uh, www. Uh, estate e s t a t e estateofhorror.com and that will take you right to the page to I'm up on Amazon and Kindle and also www.darktransference.com and that also would take you and they'll that's the sequel to a state of horror and um it's up on kindle they said i've had a lot of i i've done um i've been very very gratified to know how many people have downloaded in kindle and have got the books they've gone all around the world i had a man in germany contact me that he wow. bought both of my books i had somebody in india who bought one of my books so it was wow. in india and uh you know and over in canada the U uk i've got a lot of fans in the uk and in australia too i've had so i've had a girl actually had me uh, sign my book i said well you know you could get it in australia um you know the oh, amazon she wanted and one with your autograph she said, she said i want your autograph so i had a mail nice. it she paid for it cost like 20 dollars to mail this book to her that but was... she said no i'm paying for the postage don't you because yeah, i said i'm giving you the book i'm going to give you the book but she said no but i'm going to do i'm going to send you the postage so because i said look i'll just mail it to you she goes oh no no she's going to cost a lot of money she i said well i'm going to give you the book so, you know, we're going to each give something. So she paid okay. for it. But I said, really? You really want me to sign it? I was just really thrilled that That's... somebody wanted my autograph. No, I'm telling you, Anita. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I feel good things will come of this. And eventually, whatever is there is going to dissipate. Because oh, you so. just refuse to, like, you're not backing down. And your personality and what you surround yourself with and and the kind of energy that you put out, eventually, you, you, you're going to be... Uh, you know, you're going to come out on top of all of this because I'm sure that you have angels guarding you, darling. Oh, uh, I, I, well, thank you so much, Marlene. I appreciate all that. And, and you've been very wonderful to have me on your show. You, no, you're really, I, I really feel like you're an old friend. I yes. really appreciate you. We will stay in touch and I'll bring you back. And in, in, if you could talk to your son, if he would be willing also to come on with you, I would love to do that as well. Okay, I, I will do that because he's been on jointly with me on several programs. And um, yeah, he's got some really interesting stories to tell, right. you know. But again, thank you so much for having me on your show. Good luck on all your future projects, okay? All right, and you God bless. God bless. Take <laughs> care, sweetheart. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Links to. Anita's website were going to be in the um, the credits of the show, and you you also heard the, her website addresses and where you could get the book from her, autographed by her, or you can go to Amazon and purchase it there, or if you you know you're into the Kindle version, whatever the case might be. You know what? 
cautionary tale again you know for <laughs> i have to laugh i'm gonna laugh i'm gonna laugh when she's describing how she has all these people that are envious that she's having all these in your face paranormal uh, dark paranormal events uh that have intruded into her life because let's face it this is what she said here she's thinking all along once she realizes what's going on in her friend's house that she's really not sure what the source is but bottom line she's thinking once i am done on my end of the deal and i you know the house is sold and that's it i'm done i've like like i could say i did my end she's thinking she's closing the door on this and it doesn't my point being there's people and i'm sure she must have been thinking there's people that on purpose would want this and again i think that there's like a, a disconnect between what these people think it is to what it actually is because there is no off button there is no like when you watch the show or a movie that you get scared <laughs> and then it's okay it's so over you switch off the tv and you go to bed and you deal with real life can you imagine that that's not it there is no off button there is no time out there's this thing going on in your life that doesn't care that you have to go to work uh in her case as she had two parents with you know elderly parents with health issues that she had to you know basically was the the person getting those phone calls in the middle of the night uh you know she has she's making a living that that whatever's going on there doesn't care about any of this doesn't care about any of it as a matter of fact probably uh was hoping to stress her out even more and follow her to her home I, that's what i'm saying when people pursue this aspect of the paranormal so hard and i'm telling you i have no doubt whatsoever when she described that she had people that were like kind of like miffed because here she was having this in your face dark malevolent haunting and they're like i wish and it's like you are disconnected from reality that they, they are i'm telling you they are that's why when people dabble in this, uh, and again, and I've said this before in other shows, and I'm going to say it again, based on my years of experience, when you work in this field, whether you work as a paranormal investigator or um, you're a legend tripper or you're thinking, you really, 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 really want strong boundaries between your life and that, whatever that is, Okay. And I've said this before, a lot of these entity entities, because we really don't know what's going on with her. Are we talking more than one? Is there something uh, that was attached to the artifacts that her friend kept? Is there something uh, from his family? Because apparently he had kept a lot of stuff from his family and his parents, whatever. We don't know the origin or if there's multiple origins. But I've said there's... Um, there's a point of invitation, okay? And people think of accepting an invite the way we think of as in, somebody sends me an invite and unless I RSVP or, or I accept it, it's not accepted. And in the paranormal, in the metaphysical world, that's not the way it works. Because, especially when it's a malevolent entity haunting they will put out the invite and will take it as an acceptance in the most devious ways. 
And I'm going to give you a for instance with Anita. The very fact when she took some of these artifacts and took them home and made them hers, because now they were her property. This thing might have taken it as that invitation. Even though she didn't knowingly do that, she didn't say, oh, by the way, uh, uh, I'm taking these things that now belong to me and, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to invite all these disturbances that was happening at my friend's house. Now they're coming. No, she never did that. And a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around it like, oh, that's not fair. Of course it's not fair. But if you don't think that especially something malevolent and dark does it's going to be fair it's like really you think that of course not of course not and you know and especially when you have somebody like the way anita is it's like something um sometimes you know you will have um a haunting an intelligent haunting let's say not residual, an intelligent haunting of a dead person. Confused, maybe. There's another death or is dead, but this is not ready to move on. Uh, this was their house. Uh, sometimes they're totally unaware of the humans. They're just doing their, whatever their routine was. And they kind of hardly if ever interact with the living. And then, but the living will sometimes hear weird noises, but they're intelligent. It's not that they're residual. They just, that you know, maybe the, the house... That's why you have houses where the haunting is at an original portion and the newer stuff doesn't get affected because that ghost is seeing only what that structure was when they were there. And they'll go through doorways that are no longer there, etc., etc. They're not malevolent. They're just lost human souls. And sometimes you get that queer feeling because there's something about when you're alive and you're in the presence of something that isn't a human soul that you kind of, you feel that vibration difference. And something in you as a live human being, like a tingling-a-ling goes, this is in a place it shouldn't be. Okay? It's almost like a normal internal alarm system that goes off that tells you be careful this even happens when people have seen uh um the ghosts or the spirits of even deceased loved ones that they love this person they love this person but at the same time they get that queer feeling because as live human beings with a body there's something in us that tells us this spirit is not supposed to be here this is like matter, anti-matter, life, anti-life. Okay. And that's normal. And sometimes, like, you know, when you see, like, people of spirits that they, they're coming for their last goodbyes, they say family, and people wig out and they see it, and they're torn between happiness, like, oh, I saw my departed loved one and wigged out, like, what? But they're, they're saying their goodbyes and they move on and maybe they come back and visit, but that's it. Because these spirits, this world has no fascination for them. If you're a normal human being with a body, you have a sense of self-preservation and a desire to live. I want to live. You know, I want to be here. 
which is that's that's the animus of a living human thing human animals you you trees you want to live you want to self-preservation until you wind down and die but most living things want to follow that that route okay whatever the lifespan is for each thing it's a different duration all right but once you go through that and you transition and you shed your body and you go into the presence of the divine your ego drops away and this plane holds no fascination for you there's no attraction for you to come back you don't want or need your house stuff that you know we think is important when we're alive like food <laughs> and all these things drugs and some you know because you know i've talked about spirits that stay attached because of they've got an addiction none of that matters and you're on your way and you maybe come back and on an anniversary and see your family or, or do something to let them know hey I, I made a visit just to check on you guys but that's it that's it okay now when you have something like this that it sounds like even though she lives she lives on a piece of land that's old which she said it before all these events took place considering the age of where she lived at if anything it might have been residual or dormant there was nothing there that was throwing stuff at her or her son or attacking them and unfortunately when she accepted those things and made them hers it was like now I'm yours too and I'm gonna I, and I've said it before about people sometimes buying stuff at flea markets and you know a curbside pickup don't get me wrong I, I I think do it if you have to do it if it's but cleanse it and, and other times I've said it and if you get a weird feeling and you really don't need this item leave it there follow your intuition your heart sometimes our intellect gets in the way and we kind of poo-poo it like oh come on you know you're imagining shit yeah that's a really nice whatever whatever that's a really nice uh, rocker that's a sometimes our gut tells us things that you know it's like I'm gonna follow it and maybe you've dodged a bullet and you'll never know what bullet you dodged but you did dodge it along these lines along the lines of the paranormal of attachments of um, things that later on uh, look at her she's she, she's talking here a 10-year span 10 years 10 years is a long time when you're talking about what goes on daily in your life and that if you hear a weird noise in some part of your house you're not thinking the wind blew or one of my animals or one of my pets knocked something over you're jumping thinking oh is that the whatever it is okay and again this is not some the spirit of somebody some ghost like oh I'm you know I used to make coffee no this is something that is dark and malevolent that's attacked her that's attacked her son uh, and I mean there's a lot more details which you would need to discover by reading her books okay because uh, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to her okay and her son by extension 
that really give you a clear idea how intrusive uh, this whole thing was. And let me tell you, apart from everything, which I, I know she, she was explaining to me that his a special area of uh, interest in archaeology was Ma the Mayan civilization. And that even though he went to other areas of the United States to do digs, and he collected from all over the place, his special uh, area was the Mayan. The Mayans were very bloodthirsty. They performed human sacrifices a lot. A lot they thought of as blood being like the source of life, as in literally they had to spill it. They not only sacrificed prisoners of war, they sacrificed their own people a lot. They would flay them. Okay, They're, they thought of not only killing a sacrifice, they wanted the sacrifice to be in agony. Okay, let me tell you something. That doll that she said that wasn't really that old but had been basically clothed with fragments and leftovers of Mayan mummies. What? That's very, very, very dark. As a matter of fact, a lot of the uh, if you look at the holy death cults that exist that originated in Mexico, even though they've spread to a lot of parts of the United States, Santa Muerte, a lot of that cult originates in some of these ancient Mesoamerican belief systems in the death god, goddess of sacrifice, very, very dark, uh, It's which as a matter of fact, I want to say less than a year ago, they found these uh, temples underneath Mexico City proper that were filled with thousands, thousands of skeletons. In other words, they were aware, of course, that certain they had found certain amount of skeletons and that they were aware that these were sacrificed victims. But within a year ago, they, they found thousands. It was like so much more that, of course, the city and has been built on top of it. It's food for thought. Like what? But yeah, I mean, the 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 culprit as to what was what's been um, what was in your friend's house could be a normal number of sources, and it probably is more than one. So, and I'm telling you, gotta be careful when people. Um, People don't even realize that, they, that. I mean, some people believe it that even when uh, people prepare food, okay, that the energy that they give off while they're preparing the food can be translated into the people that eat it, how they feel. Okay. In other words, we give off this thing. And like I said, when she gets so much joy out of working with her dolls and putting them together and the detail and clothing them and uh, basically, you know, putting old dolls, just making them beautiful and, and, and repairing them. That, that brings her so much joy. 
that I'm not surprised that whatever is there is trying to take her away from that source of enjoyment. Yep. But again, guys, thank you so much for being part of my audience. Uh, you're all wonderful. Please don't forget to go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. That way you could get links to either the videos, the podcasts, whether it's the MP3 file or a link to the podcast platform, whichever one that you use. If you want to submit a true story, true believers, go to the Submit my the submit Your Story tab. Uh, also, if you want to purchase any of the free books that I have out, you can find them there. You can find them at Amazon. And I hope you also are uh, finding my new series, which is Supernatural Storytime, which is some of the stories that have been retold to me by true believers. And like I said, since the late 90s, I think when email was around, people would send me stories of things that had happened to them. Uh, experiences. Sometimes it was stuff that was really short. And then other times people lived at places for years or somehow we just had this one experience which they like stands out and they would send me like an email like oh this happened to me and uh so I, i'm sharing some of these stories uh retelling them in that supernatural story times supernatural storytime.com you go directly to that website and you can uh get the links again to all of these uh uh videos or podcasts uh versions of the stories which are really interesting really interesting so again guys thanks for coming back every week and again i've got some fantastic guests coming on and i hope you're going to come back and listen to all the wonderful stories that they have to tell about their experiences take care